0: What's going on everybody? Welcome back to the Real Bodybuilding Podcast and this is episode 101 and I am here with Mr. Stan Efferding. How are you, sir?
1: I'm good, man. How are you?
0: I'm good, man. I see you doing a lot of big things lately. How are how's everything going?
1: It's going good, man. I'm doing what I love. Yeah. You know, after retiring from bodybuilding and powerlifting, I had to kind of reinvent myself and coaching seems to be my passion, so I'm loving it.
0: I think that's uh what we all can hope, you know. When I started bodybuilding, I was like as long as I end up doing something good after bodybuilding, then I'll know it was all worth it. So I think the, fa- the fact that you found something that you're passionate about after after your career is over is amazing. Yeah. Um. So you're doing – the reason I want to get you on, I, I guess we'll just get right into it. You're coaching the heavyweight – well, not the heavyweight, the light heavyweight champion of the world, John Jones in the UFC, uh, who has – I know some of you guys are fight fans, so I know he's relinquished his title, but he's still – the champ, um, as far as I'm concerned. So what is that like, Stan?
1: Wow, it's a lot of work. I'll tell you what, Uh, originally just got invited down to discuss diet. Um, And then we, you know, we talked about his nutrition program and we trained together and uh, had a good discussion. And at the end of the day, uh, you know, a lot of my experience, people who, who know my story know that I've run a number of very successful companies. Um, my telecommunications company had over 100 employees in 20 states. Um, my real estate development firm—we bought, built, and sold over $60 million in real estate. We built multifamily, single-family subdivisions. So a lot of what I did was project management, you know, and management. Um, and that was kind of a missing piece in John's camp, because he d- he didn't really have everything coordinated. He had a lot of great talent uh, with his different coaches but didn't really have a plan or a schedule in place. And of course there isn't even a fight set, um, but he knew he needed to get started uh, working towards getting himself back into fight shape. Uh, and so we, we sat out and we orchestrated a plan, <clears throat> created a schedule and then got together with all of his coaches and uh, tried to design something that worked for everybody, uh, but also was, was most beneficial for John, meaning that you know, we managed his, his fatigue and his physical capital which becomes important because, you know, everybody thinks that what they do is, is, uh, you know, of primary importance for John's success. And they end up sometimes overtaxing him as a result. So it was, uh, it was a bit surreal to go to Jackson Wink and to sit down with, uh, you know, <laughs> Greg Jackson and Winkle John and, and uh, his other coaches, Brandon and, um, you know, Tusa is his, his uh, jujitsu coach and uh, his uh, strength and conditioning coaches, Steve and Jordan, uh, you know, we all got together and, and just sat down with a blank piece of paper and said, you know, what do we, what is, well, first John described what he thought he needed? Can I, and then we all,
0: sorry, Stan, can I interrupt you for one second? I just want to ask, yeah. how did the, how did the original call come about? Like, did you send them a message at all? Or did somebody just call you out of the blue?
1: No, actually, uh, John's strength and conditioning coach, uh, Jordan, uh, from Zia strength down here, uh, Jordan Chavez, he, uh, uh, he reached out to Mark Bell uh, for help with John's nutrition. It was kind of a missing piece of the puzzle. Mm. And uh, Mark Bell put him in touch with me. Okay. And okay. so really, that's how the, the introduction came about. And then, uh, you know, John was interested in listening to what I had to say. So uh, I flew down and, and met with him and talked with him about his nutrition program. And that's kind of how it all kicked off. And Uh, Just from there, you know, as mentioned, we we just decided that it was was much more comprehensive than that because you know when I when I discuss the vertical diet, it's always about sleep, hydration, nutrition, compliance, digestion. So you know, I started talking about all those pieces of the puzzle, and uh, I think that they just realized they wanted a more comprehensive involvement, and so uh, that's kind of what I'm doing is just kind of helping coordinate all of these great talents that he has in his camp.
0: The the strange part to me is. I thought, and this could be my own misconception, but I thought fighters were turned off by bodybuilders. And I know, yeah. you're, and I know, you're, I know you're a lot more than a bodybuilder, so I don't want to just frame, no, I, frame you that way. But I get it. I thought when they saw you, they would be like, oh, it's just another bodybuilder. You know, forget yeah.
1: it. Yeah, well, uh, that's true. And certainly, you know, my resume, uh, a lot of people don't understand that, that, you know, I came out of the University of Oregon exercise science and was a high school soccer coach. Yep. And worked training uh, track athletes at the University of Oregon, sprinters and distance runners, uh, and then spent many years working with their football players at the University of Oregon football team. So, okay. my experience is rooted in sports in general, and worked with fighters and worked with wrestlers, and yeah. uh, you know, obviously CrossFit national champions now, strong men, Of course, you're familiar with yeah. uh, all the people I've worked with. So, uh, yeah, that's my passion. That was my pursuit: bodybuilding and powerlifting. But Um, you know my experience is in in sports performance and uh, you know both in training and nutrition for those folks so uh, I think it lent itself very well and a lot of people are concerned that John's gaining weight and that he doesn't want to put on too much muscle because it you know has a high demand for oxygen and energy and and water etc and uh, you know it's it's certainly well understood and we've we've designed a program that is focused on uh, fighting we're looking on you know, all the, the aspects that go into that. So it's not about hypertrophy specifically, it's not about strength specifically. It's about speed strength, about speed endurance. You know, it's about the kinds of tools that you'll need to be a better fighter at the heavyweight level.
0: Yeah. When you walk into uh Jackson Wink, is there inti- are you intimidated at all? Or do you know that they need you more, not more than they than you need them, but do you know that you fit there, that you're needed and your skill set is needed, or is there kind of an intimidation that you're, you know at the champs camp
1: right yeah oh there's certainly an enormous level of respect for uh, those folks what they've accomplished with john and with so many great fighters it's uh, you know obviously one of the best camps in the world yeah um uh, but uh, there were some missing pieces and i i did feel as though i had uh a, you know a great deal of experience and could contribute and it was uh, you know we sat down and, and we got together and uh you know it's an orchestra it's a collaboration
0: Yeah, And it wasn't
1: about telling anybody what they needed to do. Uh, It was about providing them uh, the resources that they needed so they could get what they needed done. Uh, And more so than anything, just a a schedule. And, uh, you know, the conversation really always kicks off with uh, the fact that your athlete has limited physical capital.
0: Yeah.
1: And you need to invest that wisely. And yes, he needs to do grappling. And yes, he needs to do striking. And yes, he needs to do strength and conditioning. Uh, but if any of those is too taxing on him, it can draw from the other. If he can't recover, uh, you know, obviously we work on expanding his physical capital in recovery with, uh, by improving his sleep and hydration and nutrition, but at the same time, we got to be cautious with fatigue. Yeah. And so when we designed the schedule, we designed it mostly in part to see what are his hard days and do we follow them with basically what we'd call a recovery day, what skill work and what is, uh, you know, for strength and then actually physically demanding. So we could stack his fatigue. Uh, we usually have to stack fatigue on the same day so the subsequent day can be a little lighter for recovery from and preparation for the next hard day. So that's what we did.
0: The um, I think the common con- the, the common um, thought process, I think, of at least from my end, was that you were going in there just to do his strength and conditioning. <clears throat> but it seems like you're going in there like, as you said, to coordinate everything. So you have a much larger role than I thought originally, like you're not just doing, Hey, this is how they're going to teach you how to lift heavy weights. You're doing a lot more than that there, aren't you?
1: Yeah. And you know, he has great coaches. He has a great yeah. strength coach He's a great conditioning coach. Okay. Uh, you know, obviously he's got great striking coaches yeah. and great uh, jujitsu coach, some of the best in the world. And he's, he's uh, thrived under their, uh, you know, their instruction. He's mm-hmm. gotten strong and, and he's, uh, uh, obviously extremely well extremely talented um, but historically in in talking to about what what you know his experience was historically, um, he they would grind him pretty hard. everybody wanted to train him as hard as possible every time. yeah yeah and and so he would experience some fatigue. Uh, we, we see a lot with fighters as they end up uh, they end up losing a significant amount of lean mass and strength. As a result of those, all that hard training, yeah. uh, and they have a higher uh, exposure to injury. A lot of those folks end up getting hurt, you know, right before the fight. Sure. And just fatigue in general, uh, you know, it's going to lower testosterone, lower thyroid, increase cortisol, raise your resting heart rate, you know, which will obviously affect your sleep. And so over time, I think these people just get more and more tired. An interesting statistic in in the UFC. <clears throat> fighters who uh, who drop out for whatever reason injured or or what have you yeah and are replaced with a last minute fighter the last minute fighters have a winning percentage
0: oh wow because they're because they're they're healthy and rested they're healthy
1: yeah and that's really the primary goal is to do no harm to bring your athlete in healthy and i've seen it many many times in history with fighters uh you know from the sidelines and i've worked with with professional fighters as well just not at the ufc level yeah um and they do uh they do overtrain. they get weaker they get injured uh they'll even fight injured you know just disguise the injury we know that they'll always talk about it after the fact yeah broken hand the broken you know bone in their foot you know whatever pulled muscles happens very commonly so that was the big focus was just to get everybody to coordinate their efforts and make sure that the that we could get some measurements uh, implemented so that john's strength and speed were not compromised as a result of the intensity of the training
0: um as you said you've trained a lot of fighters uh, maybe not the ufc level but you've trained a lot of professional fighters so what is are they up to speed on training and nutrition and all of the different facets that bodybuilders because i always feel like bodybuilders are kind of the guinea pigs for the rest of the world we kind of figure things. I feel like we kind of figure things out first, and it trickles down to everybody else. Um, is that the case with fighting, or do they have things figured out there? <clears throat>
1: it's even worse than fighting because these yeah. folks, generally speaking, don't have the funds to be able to afford an, a, a quality uh, trainer or uh, a nutritionist.
0: Okay, and
1: so I used to think that fighters, even at a high level, uh, you know, I even thought that of some of the, the great athletes that I've worked with. Had all that figured out, and as you go in and, and start to to ask questions, you discover that uh, some people are they're successful in spite of themselves. Uh, <laughs> and, and you know, working with college athletes, you find out that that you know they're genetically gifted in many cases. Their uh, uh, their nutrition usually sucks; they eat fast food a lot. Yeah, yeah, uh, and you, they can get away with it in their twenties,
0: you know, that- in their early twenties. I don't know if you, I don't know how much you're allowed to divulge, but is that something that John's, John Jones was doing? Like, is he just that talented that he kind of was getting by without doing all the maybe best things for himself?
1: Oh yeah, I think so. I think, and John even himself would acknowledge that that his uh, and he said it many times publicly on interviews, etc. With Joe Rogan, that his sleep and his discipline outside the gym wasn't uh, where it could have been or should have been. And he was successful because he is very talented and he is very hardworking. I find that about most athletes is they will train hard. They'll go to the gym and bust their ass. But it, it, you know, one of the first things I said is that you don't grow in the gym. I've always said that I wrote that article 10 years ago for NPC, and you don't grow in the gym and you know, you, you grow eating and sleeping as we know, and and the recovery phase. Um, And uh, you're, you're also concerned with those other things I discussed about, you know, injury potential and, and just declining over the, the course of the camp. So, yeah. no, my experience is, is that fighters have, uh, do not have good advice, can't afford it. You look at the payouts, even at the UFC in some of those fights, and it's, it's really pathetic. They cannot afford, uh, right. you know, good information, good advice. It's out there, but you know, they're focused on fighting yes. and even the mentality inside the camp. Uh, one of the most more difficult messages that I had to kind of try and deliver or discuss or negotiate um, fight coaches believe that you fight to get in shape. Oh, and okay. I believe you get in shape to fight. I see and for the reasons I mentioned, when you fight to get in shape, uh, I think that you decline, uh, you know, you lose muscle, you, you ex- you're exposed to greater uh, injury potential and, um, I just think that that even mentally, yeah, for a, a three-month camp or this will probably be at least a four-month camp, we have to be very cautious uh, that we keep him engaged and interested mentally because those these camps can be a long grind if you're just constantly beating up on somebody. So okay. I, I use the analogy. I said we're 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 building mountains. We're not digging holes, digging ditches. Yeah, yeah, and a lot of people they want to get you in there and they just want to just beat you up. Uh, And that's digging ditches and you might not actually get your recovery from that. You know, you need that super compensation and it's just a process of overtraining, overtraining, overtraining. And so we're trying to, you know, to do it a little differently and, and, uh, and keep him healthy and active and interested throughout the camp.
0: I want to get into this a little bit later, but just really quickly, is this, is this entire, I mean, it seems like your philosophy on, physique and building muscle is almost solely based on recovery and staying fresh. Is that why you look the way you look at 50? Like, is this one of your main components of your program?
1: Yeah, that I think, generally speaking, the reason I was able to survive as long as I did in power lifting was because I didn't do it all the time. I did a lot of bodybuilding in between. So I lightened the loads. I did more volume sets and reps, shorter rest periods. I built up a great cardiovascular base from that, you know, those 90 second rests with, uh, you know, lots of, lots of volume. You're, you're destined to build up a lot of cardiovascular base. Plus I was well balanced. I Mm -hmm. I did a lot of, you know, as we do in bodybuilding, we do every body part from every angle. Uh, Fighters tend not to do that. Do a lot of striking, not nearly enough back work to compensate for all of that, you know, anterior work. Uh, They don't do enough posterior chain or at least not, uh, effectively, you know, Mm -hmm. working, you know, hamstrings, glutes and and back. Yeah. Uh, and, and so we're, you know, we focus on those things. We, we find weaknesses. Uh, and then even after I stopped competing in powerlifting, uh, you know, every now and then I'd still try and go in and do some of the things that I used to do that as you age, you know, I set my world record when I was 45 years old yeah, Uh, and that was an all time world record at any age. And, And of course still, what hasn't been that? beaten. Nobody over 40 is total. Uh, sorry, here, let me, uh, got, got a call coming in. Let me get you back there. Yeah. Nobody over 40s ever totaled 2303. That was my uh, three lift total. Um, but at the time I did it, I was 45 years old and it was an all time world record at any age group. So, <laughs> um, you know, it, it has a lot to speak about longevity. And now that I'm, you know, 53 years old, uh, I employ a lot of the same methods. Um, you know, using relatively shorter rest periods, less, uh, you know, really heavy lumbar loading with any significant frequency. Um, you know, occasionally you'll see me do a heavy squat, but it's, it's rare. It's not all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And I focus more on, you know, muscles than movements. Um, you know, with fighters, of course, I, I don't want to focus on muscles. I want to focus on movement patterns and yeah. sport specific, uh, yeah. stuff, but I can do that without over fatiguing them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, and not training heavy all the time. And, and, uh, uh, you know, of course the focus there is going to be for, for speed strength and speed endurance. And so, uh, we do a lot of stuff that, that's uh, specific for that.
0: Uh, going back to John's diet, do you, are you doing his nutrition or does he have a nutritionist that you're guiding?
1: No, I do his nutrition. Okay. Uh, it's, it's the vertical diet. It's not unfamiliar. It's, it's the same exact stuff. Yeah. Uh, you know, I replaced chicken with lean red meat. Um, I used more easy to digest foods so he doesn't have the gas and bloating. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was one of the things that he was experiencing. He was, he was having trouble with as been my experience with most of my clients.
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: Uh, so I kind of lead with that, that low FODMAP diet, uh, with a few variations. Um, you know, the, the, foundation is micronutrient dense, easy to digest foods. I, I, made sure that he got thousand milligrams of calcium from dairy daily. So we've implemented yogurt and, and, uh, he seems to tolerate it very well. We've, uh, we use fruit of course, and where we need to drive calories, uh, beyond, uh, you know, those micronutrient dense fruits and vegetables, we're using white rice as the primary, um, fuel for carbohydrates, uh, that, that, uh, Uh, you know, help him maintain his workload and his weight. So his body composition has already improved. His digestion, he feels as much better. His compliance is really what was most important to me. So uh, got together with his wife and she's taking daily pictures of every meal, sending me his body weight and hours of sleep. Uh, So we're working on just the foundation, the fundamentals, the things that historically, uh, you know, by his own admission, he didn't concentrate as much on. And his, uh, his changes just in the last, less than four weeks have been extraordinary they really have
0: so when you start with a client i know you get a entire history of what they're doing and all that did you get anything from john did you find out like what he was eating and was it was it way off base or what was it like
1: uh i did not get a history on john because we just hit the ground running i just came down and visited him and immediately sent the diet to his wife and so uh, but by his own admission, he would, he would eat out when it was convenient. He would eat what he enjoyed. Yeah. Um, he did gain mass. He did gain strength. Uh, I think his, uh, body fat percentage was a little higher than I would have wanted. Um, but he's already made significant changes in that he's already brought his uh, body fat percentage down and increased his lean mass. So, you know, we're real pleased with how fast he transforms, mm-hmm. uh, plus his, his speed, uh, his endurance, has substantially improved. I think a lot of that is going to be as a result of those, <clears throat> those foundational principles, you know, he's just sleeping more, eating better, um, okay. you know, at least four times a day with the protein feeding. So he's recovering faster. Uh, and then he's, uh, you know, he's, he's even implemented some naps here and there, the 10 minute walks after meals yeah. kind of really enjoys the structure and how he feels. Uh, we just keep him moving a lot. And we're doing two a day. So he'll do a AM PM workouts six days straight, uh, but they're not always, uh, challenging, as I mentioned, we'll stack, you know, high fatigue days with low fatigue days.
0: So he isn't having any trouble going from kind of a relaxed lifestyle to this extremely strict, very regimented life.
1: No, he actually likes it, and I, I find that to be the case. Once you've got a plan in place and you, you've got a goal and structure, uh, that it, it really helps you focus. Um, obviously, he still doesn't have a fight, but he's, his mindset is is that he will. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's just going to act as if and he's he's going to uh, you know to continue to uh, to train as though there's you know something on the horizon, yeah. whether that be four months or six months. At this point, we're not too concerned. He just wants to be the best John Jones he's ever been, and that's uh, you know that's frightening to think of it. Uh, you know, 240 plus pounds by the time he's all uh, you know etched in and finished.
0: Yeah. Um, what uh, are you a, are you a fight fan yourself or no? Or are you just more of a fight <clears throat> yeah
1: fan? always been watching ufc since uh uh, Gracies were yeah (laughs) choking everybody out (laughs) so
0: i want to get into that a little bit what do you i know you probably watched the recent uh francis and ganu fight yeah what do you think about john jones versus francis and ganu i mean i know you got to say he's going to win because he's your boy but how do you feel about the fight in general
1: yeah i feel great about it i just i think john has uh, so much experience and such a a broader skill set obviously you want to watch out for your opponent's strengths and expose yeah. their weaknesses and uh, I think it's a great matchup I you know I uh I'm here to support John 100% so obviously I'm you know I'm, I'm bullish on his uh on his prospect uh, of winning any fight uh yeah. when whoever the opponent may be we would just try and identify their weaknesses and John's strengths and uh but we're working on everything just so he has the capacity to do whatever he wants to do when he's in the ring. Uh, and I think that, that, you know, most importantly, uh, that you get him there healthy, uh, that he's as fast and as strong and as cardiovascularly fit as possible so that, uh, he can execute whatever plan that he determines. He's got the, one of the greatest fight IQs in, in UFC history. So whatever he decides to do when he's in the ring, it's our responsibility to make sure that he has the capacity to do that.
0: Yeah. So he said in a recent interview that he wants to be as big or bigger than Francis Ngannou. And I know that's, you know, it could be, it could be just something you say in an interview, but you're with him every day and he does have another four to six months. How much muscle do you think you can put on him? Like what weight do you think you can actually get him to on st- like not on stage, but in the ring?
1: You know, I've had this discussion with John. He, he would like to be as big and strong as possible. Um, you talk to fight people who are in the fight game behind the scenes uh, really smart folks that deal with fighters on a daily basis. They think a 220 pound John Jones could beat Francis Ngannou or any heavyweight just because of his skill level. Yeah. As long as he's, you know, uh, as long as he's uh, healthy there and, and strong and fast. And I tend to believe the same. Uh, you know, he's 254 right now. Okay. Uh, my deal with John, because you and I, are, you know, we're in the world of muscle. And, uh, you know, we know how to add muscle. We know how long it takes to add, uh, you know, yeah. good, lean, usable muscle. My deal with John is really one of performance. If John's endurance, strength, explosiveness, speed uh, can maintain or improve, then I'm not too concerned about his body weight. Okay. Uh, you know, if his, if his broad jump or his high jump or his uh, uh, cardiovascular uh, fitness. We, we do tempo runs. We do overspeed treadmill. So we're able to measure all of this. Uh, if any of that gets compromised by his weight, then you know we at that point we'll have the discussion as to whether or not that weight is a benefit. Okay. Uh, but as long as it's not a detriment, I'm not too concerned. Uh, I do think he'll be. Uh, every time we get him all etched out, I know he wants to be as heavy as possible. Realistically, I'm thinking. Um, you know, I I just had a discussion with him the other day that he's. Uh, you know, he could be in the high 240s and be fit and lean uh, looking at him now and knowing his body composition. So that would be a nice goal. And, and it would, uh, I think as long as it translated into improved performance, then yeah. I'm happy with that. But I'm not focused on the scale first. Obviously, I'm focusing on what do his temporal runs look like? What's his speed yeah, look like? Yeah. What's his you know, cardiovascular fitness? What's his strength? What's his explosiveness? We measure all of that in terms of performance first.
0: Mm-hmm. You know what I'm really interested to see is now that you've mentioned it, because I wasn't thinking about this before, but I wonder how run down he was in his previous fights. And I wonder how fresh he's going to be in this fight and what the difference will be. Cause I can only imagine if he's, if he was run down in his previous fights, he's only going to be even more incredible come fight time. Yeah.
1: Some of John's camps by his own admission, he would get into camp maybe 10 weeks before a fight, which you and I would be like, wow, that's yeah, <laughs> that's not yeah. very long. Yeah. Uh, but you know he's extremely talented, has a long history of fighting, and so he would get into shape pretty quickly. But my concern was that, uh, as previously mentioned, that when you're dieting during training camp, uh, it's really hard to recover from that intensity of training. You're certainly not going to add any muscle or strength. Uh, maybe strength, maybe. Yeah. Uh, but even then, uh, you know, it's just much more difficult to train with the same level of intensity. Uh, in a calorie deficit, as it is in a slight surplus, yeah. and so now we've got a unique opportunity with over four months at, at a minimum before a potential fight mm-hmm. uh, to train him in a slight surplus. And so his energy levels are good; he's getting stronger every workout, faster. He feels great. Is you know mentally he's he's ref- he's fresh, yeah. um, and his sparring sessions are are going fantastic. He's wrestling jujitsu and and pads. Uh, he's just starting to dominate already after only, you know, less than a month of, of, uh, of being back in there.
0: So how is, so you're the, so you're the one who plans his week out. Like you're going to strike this much. You're going to strengthen conditioning this much. You're going to do this, this, this. Are you the one who does all that?
1: Yeah. Well, I'm the one who, who coordinates that with his coaches.
0: Okay. Okay.
1: So they say what they need. And then I just make sure that they're getting enough of his time. Uh, and that I know what, Level of intensity that they're engaging in, so that I can manage his recovery, and then we kind of coordinated all that together. So,
0: <clears throat> which coach needs the most? That's what I want to know. I want to know which which coach comes to you the most and says, "I need him the most." Of all, they the all
1: they know. all want him the most. They do, right? But fortunately, he's been lifting. uh You've seen a lot of videos of him lifting, and he's and he's and he's strong on a lot of lifts. There yeah. are some lifts that, that he did not enjoy as much as others. And so he's not, uh, as strong on those. And so we're kind of focusing on those now, but, sure. um, he doesn't really need as much lifting for strength per se. Uh, but for speed strength, we have implemented some things that are, that are new. Mm-hmm. Uh, I brought out, uh, Matt Wiedemer from beat personal training in Cincinnati, Ohio. Okay. Matt was a strength and conditioning coach at uh, at uh, University of Pittsburgh uh, under Buddy Morris and then uh, was a strength and conditioning coach at Cleveland Browns, again, under Buddy Morris, who's mm-hmm. now the strength and conditioning coach for the Atlanta um, uh, or, or for the um, uh, uh, Arizona Cardinals. Okay, And uh, Matt spent probably the last 20 years his own facilities in Cincinnati. He was a strength and conditioning um, or, or he actually worked with uh, Louis Simmons at, uh, um, at, his, uh, at his gym and competed in powerlifting for nearly 20 years yeah. Um, yeah. at Westside Barbell. So he's very experienced, but one of the things that he's particularly talented with is uh, speed. He's worked with a lot of track athletes and, and NFL football players over the years and he's implemented an overspeed treadmill program at his gym for i think it has been at least 12 plus years. Yeah. And so we purchased and had a uh, overspeed treadmill delivered here and John's been running on it you've seen some videos possibly of him on Instagram.
0: Can I I'm sorry Stan I don't mean to interrupt but I just can I ask what is an overspeed treadmill?
1: An overspeed treadmill will actually go up to say 25 plus miles an hour. Oh sure. Uh, okay. And it it allows you uh to uh, kind of like almost as if you some people will run downhill thinking yeah. they could you know create more speed. Uh, a lot of problems with that of course you know your stride length and it, it just it doesn't it's not sport specific yeah um, you know when I was doing training track athletes at the University of Oregon back then they were doing things like running in the sand or using parachutes or using ladder drills, none of which uh, seemed to be terribly effective. Yeah, uh, and, and uh, they also can interfere with the the, uh, the motor patterns for you know a proper stride.
0: Sure.
1: Um, but the overspeed treadmill does seem to translate to increased speed on the track. Uh, also, uh, you know, it increases just metabolically, it increases speed overall. Okay. And so we can use a slight. It's, it's not much different than bodybuilding, adding you know two and a half pounds or one rep here or there. Yeah. We yeah. can measure it. We can progress it over time uh and it it uh, it just allows us to implement a tool a lot of people will also try and run uphills yeah uh, that shortens your stride length that uh, you know you're gen- generally bent forward so you don't have hip extension which you need in, in obviously in fighting yeah uh, and so we don't think that's the best pattern uh, also in terms of building cardiovascular fitness we'll use tempo runs on that treadmill and we can time uh usually we're in the lactic anaerobic uh, uh, area under 10 seconds or at 10 seconds. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and then we'll just do intervals there. We'll just do tempo runs. So sprint for 10 seconds, then we'll rest for a minute. sprint for 10 seconds over time. We can increase that, the speed of that sprint and we can decrease the duration of the rest. And so that more and more replicates a uh, fight, uh, right. which is, you know, it's a, it's a very aggressive explosive, um, you know, kind of like football, a six second full explosion, the 32nd rest fighting is, uh, is, is explosive with brief rest, explosive with brief rest. It's, it's not, uh, you know, road work doesn't actually replicate that. So we are trying to build a big cardio base, but we're using the, the tempo runs in that, uh, first 10 seconds, what we call the alactic anaerobic, uh, yeah. energy, uh, system to, to build that over time. And, uh, so far he's, he's been progressing very, very well, but it's just a tool that we use uh, that we didn't have uh, previously that we think is superior to some of the other options you may have used in the past.
0: Um, I want to stick with training for one more question. I just want to ask how often is he weight training? Like how often is he doing traditional weightlifting or even some, I've seen you doing some of the strength stuff that you do with uh, or not strength, but I don't even know what you would call it. The, you know, pulling the sleds or the wheelbarrows and stuff like that. How often is he doing that kind of stuff every week?
1: Yeah, some of that would probably be considered recovery. Uh, The sleds and the wheelbarrows, they just don't create a lot of uh, of systemic fatigue. Uh, They allow him to, you know, get a lot of blood and move a lot. Mm. Um, Some of those are designed for things like sustained contraction or, uh, you know, just the, the gripping and holding exercises, which is great for, you know, the Greco-Roman base yeah. for wrestling and, and that obviously would translate to fighting, but it doesn't cause a lot of fatigue actually can help you recover from previous workouts and prepare for the next. So uh, currently we'll do two uh, upper body and two lower body sessions a week. And the uh, one will be heavier and one will be uh, lighter. Both will be uh, generally focused on still being explosive. Yeah. Uh, we want the speed of the reps and we don't like grinders necessarily, although we will go up to a, a reasonably heavy single, uh, maybe repeat that a couple times uh, just to, you know, to maintain and to hopefully improve strength over time without, uh, you know, draining someone like a power lifter would do.
0: Sure. Um, I want to actually touch on this before I move away from training and it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be related to fighting. Cause I think even like people like myself and people watching that are older uh, could use utilize this or even younger, but. Um, you said those workouts are actually done to help you recover. And yeah. I think that's, <clears throat> I think that statement's confusing to a lot of people, uh, in, including myself. I'm not going to pretend I know uh, what that means, but most people wouldn't look at a training technique as in helping me recover, right? The recovery usually means rest, don't do anything. So can you explain how those movements are actually aiding in recovery?
1: Yeah, well, first of all, they're not heavy enough uh, to cause a significant amount of damage. Okay. Secondly, they're mostly concentric. Uh, so like dragging sleds uh, doesn't have the eccentric phase. So there's less muscle damage. Okay. And thirdly, we don't load the lumbar. Uh, and so that creates less central nervous system fatigue. Uh, and then there's a lot of movements. So you're getting a lot of blood flow. Uh, okay. well marching with sleds in particular use tons of blood. You'll feel a fantastic pump. I've spoken before about how, when I was training with Mark Bell in 2009 and I would do a heavy squat day on Sundays, I usually lay around for two days, just sit and sleep. And I would have an enormous amount of delayed onset muscle soreness. So I'd be fatigued and tired all the time. Yeah. And so I got a recumbent bike and I put it in my hotel room where I was staying in Sacramento while training with Mark And after a big squat session on Sunday, that evening, I would do a a little hit session. I would do 10 minutes on the bike against modest tension, you know, 40, 50 seconds at a decent pace under modest tension, 10, 15 second rest, I would repeat it 10 times. And then the next day I would do that three times. I would do it, you know, after breakfast, after lunch and after dinner. And I found that my uh, recovery was accelerated, my delayed onset muscle soreness. And we see that in the research now too, that movement is superior to passive therapy. I see. Uh, okay. Things like massage, electric stem, uh, cryotherapy, uh, all of those things are inferior to actual movement. And uh, the frequency of the movement is important. And hence my always promoting the 10 minute walks. Uh, in addition to digestion and, and blood sugar management, uh, just the frequency of, of doing that three times a day I always just say that a you know a body in motion tends to stay in motion, uh, or that that uh, what do I say? Motion is the lotion. That yeah. <laughs> at my age I'm like the Tin Man without an oil can, and I just and that's my oil. And so I move a lot every day.
0: Yeah, it sounds so counterintuitive to yeah. every, to everything we've been taught as bodybuilders because you know yeah. people say, oh, take that rest day, don't move, lay on the couch, <laughs> watch TV. <laughs> And, and I like, lived it, man. yeah, I was the,
1: I was the skinny kid. It, it, don't run if you can walk, don't stand yeah. if you can sit and don't yeah. stay awake if you can yeah. sleep., <laughs> back, no, but it's true full of food everywhere I went.
0: But you know what's funny is I know you're right because one of the things I tell clients is and this is I just never really formulated the thought all the way through, but one of the things I tell clients is after a heavy leg day, get on the treadmill the next morning that because some people say, well, should I avoid the treadmill after legs? Because, you know, my legs are sore, it's going to break down muscle. And I'm like, no, it'll actually help you get through the soreness faster. And Now that you're saying it, even more of a micro, uh, more of a micro pattern where you're doing 10 minutes. So basically, the what you're saying is the more blood flow we can pr- promote with the least amount of
1: effort, I guess,
0: yeah. is, is, the, is what we want to do. Yeah, it's kind of why I like
1: sprinting stairs. It's mostly concentric. It's push, push, push. You don't get that. Uh, but if you sprint out on a track, you get that decelerating force where the, the you know, as you start to slow down and your foot strike is actually uh, decelerating your body. Yeah, There's a lot of impact. People get injured sprinting. They don't realize how dynamic it is. Yeah. And so I, I try and pick concentric mostly uh, exercises that you can do and pumping a lot of blood into the muscles, you feel completely regenerated the next day. The workout itself, you, you know, your heart rate will go up and you'll feel the pump in your in your legs from marching with a sled dragging behind you. Yeah. And you can do it a number of different ways. You could do a quad drive or you could, uh, you know, take big steps and use mostly a hamstring and glute uh, drive. So there's, you know, variations to it. But uh, I we've, you know, mostly from Matt's experience and from that uh of working with all those football players and and, uh, in my experience having utilized it, it's even better than pushing a prowler uh, because you do have some stacking involved with that. That can be a little fatiguing. Mm.
0: Let me ask you this. So I know for health purposes, and and this is probably going to be a silly question after I ask it, just because I can think it through already, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Um, So the question I want to ask is, I know it's healthier to do what you're saying. And I know it is better for mobility as we get older, but in bodybuilding terms, is it better for a bodybuilder to rest and not move? If we're not talking, let's say he's completely healthy. His joints are fine. Everything's fine. I'm talking to like, I'm talking to the 25 year old old out there that like is trying to just put on the maximum amount of muscle. Should he use his rest day? As a as a sit on the couch, sleep, do as much rest as possible, or should he use a rest day as, you know, get two or three small sessions of something in?
1: I'd get two or three small sessions in. I think it's better for getting uh, glucose into the muscles uh, yeah. because, as you know, the the muscles will uptake glucose from the bloodstream in the absence of the need of insulin simply from movement. It helps you recover faster. So now potentially you can increase the total amount of volume that you do because you've got uh, you know, a larger cardiovascular base, mm-hmm. you're, um, you're recovering from workouts faster. And so I, I would suggest the movement, obviously the, the caveat is, is you still need to maintain a calorie surplus, but three 10 minute sessions of just moving, whether it's a walk yeah. or a recumbent bike. I like recumbent bike for bodybuilders because you do pump more blood into the knees. It's more recuperative. Uh, sure. This seems to be, you know, one of the things is repetitive strain on the knees. Uh, so that, that really helps with the joints, uh, the tendons and ligaments. Uh, you know, they're, they're, there's not much blood flowing into tendons and ligaments. They're not yeah. innervated with capillaries the way the muscles are. So the muscles recover very fast. The uh, joints is usually uh, through a pressure gradient. Uh, but when you move, it, it's much more effective. That's how the, the joints actually absorb uh, get blood and absorb nutrients and, and, uh, and filter out, you know, through the lymphatic system, all of the toxin, uh, all of the, uh, the accumulated waste from training. So uh, to me, it's, it's more than just recuperative. It's also about building and growing. So I would definitely do something. Uh, more recently, I've, you know, have been u- utilizing the, the, uh, the ATP walks, the marches where I, I get on a, a belt squat of any kind. Yeah. And I put a belt around my hips and I just walk back and forth. It pumps a ton of blood into my hips and glutes. And, you know, historically I have had some problems with my hips, but uh, I don't even notice it anymore. They they feel fantastic.
0: I think I saw that. I think somebody posted recently. uh, John Meadows had them grab a cable from between their legs. Yeah. And pull it forward and then just march and forth for like yeah I don't know 20 reps or something like that before actually doing the movement they were going to do
1: yeah it just really helps put a lot of uh, blood into the the hip joint uh, you get a similar benefit from using a, uh, a hip circle uh, just you know going side to side and forward and yeah. back it's just mm-hmm. uh, a lot of what you do uh, you know in bodybuilding powerlifting and sports in general is is you know involves the hips uh, and the hip flexors and uh, the glutes and so it's just a way to pump blood in there. The bike, I think, does a good job of that as well. But you, yeah. you, you feel a whole other level of, of, uh, uh, of blood, uh, flowing into those hips when you do those marches. It just, yeah. it's another, you know, it's, it's another way to keep the thing interesting too and fun. And uh, mm-hmm. so I use a variety of different methods.
0: Um, it's interesting to me because you know, for me personally, at forty-two you know, the, the common theme is always don't move and get a lot of massage done and all these kind of things. And uh, now you're telling me just to do more, do more, but less. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, instead of sitting around. So that's actually a really interesting point. Um, I know there's a lot of older guys out here uh, that watch the show. Where, what can they do to keep their body intact other than these recovery methods? Like when they're training, because they're should they, yeah. scale, should they scale back on their training from, you know, five or six days a week the way traditionally bodybuilding does it to four or three, or how do you suggest somebody can keep their body, keep their muscle and keep growing and keep healthy?
1: With just like with John and, and setting up a schedule with his coaches, it really has to do with managing fatigue and selecting the kind of exercises that, that, uh, you know, build mountains instead of dig ditches. So yeah. a lot of the stuff we just discussed, uh, you know, as a powerlifter, uh, you know I've always focused on heavy, you know, basic multi-joint movements. The problem with that is, as you age, is that it, it creates more and more fatigue. You wake up the next morning, you're just exhausted, and things hurt, and yeah. you can't train with the same frequency. You don't recover as well, and so I had to be more selective about the exercises. More recently, you see me doing leg presses. My feet are very close and very narrow uh, and very low, and I'm just focused it on on stretching the quad yeah. and I can use about half the weight because I'm not involving my glutes and hips. Sure. Well, most sure. powerlifters and bodybuilders or people who have trained for, for, you know, long enough as they get into their forties and fifties, they have enough ass. Okay. It's just, <laughs> we've loaded a lot of weight on our backs so we got enough true. ass.
0: Definitely. Yes. And
1: we really don't need to train, uh, that. I also find that, that, uh, uh, you know, that we'll, in leg press, we'll try and put ourselves in the most advantageous position to lift as much, muscle, as much weight as possible. Yep. That doesn't necessarily mean that the quads are getting the best workout.
0: Yeah. yeah. So
1: we'll, you know, we'll get a high and wide stance that loads our glutes. We'll uh, push our stomach into our thighs. None of that really helps isolate or build quadriceps. Uh, you yeah. know, Dorian said he got away from squats very early in his career because he was, strong such that uh, he was just injuring his knees yeah. and not really building his quads he was just getting ass and hips so uh, I don't squat as much or as with uh, as much volume. I'll do it less frequently, maybe less heavy. I use a, a, a technique that allows me to uh, you know even like a Smith machine squat uh, where you get more range of motion at your knees as opposed to yeah. focusing on glutes and hips the weight goes way down. I also, by shortening the rest periods, maybe the first set you could, you did 10 reps, but you could have done 20. Yeah. But after a 90 second rest, the second set, you know, you do yeah. 10 reps, you probably only could have gotten 14, but by the third set you did 10. And that was probably pretty damn near failure just because you shorten the rest period to 90 seconds. Yeah. Uh, so that's more metabolic than it is uh, joint uh you know in central nervous system loading and i think that's preferable and then i also the belt squat to me is is a huge advantage if you can get you know any belt squat where you're loading below the lumbar you just recover from that faster i wake up the next morning and my muscles are sore but my joints aren't that to me is a big indicator that i'm doing the right thing Yeah. yeah and so i i do all of those things and i i just i really generally speaking don't lift anything i can't lift for at least eight or ten reps anymore
0: um i i I think it wouldn't be a good podcast so i don't go back for to john for one second there's two things i want to cover still and i don't want to keep you too long because it's almost been an hour but um when we were talking about john we were talking about diet but i didn't actually get into a sample like i just i'm curious what he's eating like calorie wise or what's one look like i know you have the vertical diet so i don't understand a lot of it's red meat but how many calories is somebody like John taking in right now and what kind of surplus is he, in, is he
1: under? Try and keep him at about a 500 calorie surplus. His workload is high. So he's North of 4,000 calories a day. Okay. Um, 250 grams of protein at a minimum divided into four meals. So he's about 60 plus grams of protein per meal.
0: Okay.
1: Uh, the fundamentals of that are primarily um, uh, he'll eat, uh, you know, five or six ounces of lean top sirloin steak with a meal, Uh, maybe a scrambled egg. Uh, You know, I'm obviously a big fan of the, the, the uh, the micronutrients in eggs. Um, And then some yogurt, uh, usually maybe a yogurt OJ shake. uh, So it's easier to consume more of it just as a, as a vehicle, mainly for calcium, but there's also good protein in there. And that would be a fat free only because there's adequate fats in the meats and the eggs. Try and keep the fats down. So I said it was a gram of protein per pound of body weight, or there about 250 plus. Um, keep the fats at about 0. 0.4 grams per pound. So we're trying to stay yeah. somewhere around, um, uh, you know, probably closer to 80 right now. It's a little higher just because it's hard to, to I don't want to over restrict. I want to keep the eggs and the red meat in there. Uh, yeah. So about 70 grams of uh, protein or 70 grams of fats okay, per yeah. day, 70 to 80. Uh, And then the rest is carbs and those might adjust because we do the pre and post-workout drinks. He'll, he'll have a carb sodium blend. Uh, I should mention that that that's a very specific prescription as well as, as, you know, John Meadows has talked about a lot and I've talked about a lot over the Mm -hmm. years. Um, You don't sweat out just water, you sweat out water, uh, you know, and you burn carbohydrates and you sweat out sodium and some magnesium as well. And so, you know we replenish him when he drinks he doesn't drink just water he drinks water sugar and salt and uh, for a hard training two-a-day athlete that's absolutely necessary some people might even weigh before and after training to make sure they're getting adequate water yeah. uh, or adequate fluids so uh, we're using a product currently called level and it's from dr sander Godick's group out of the heat institute yeah. um uh, her i reached out to her folks again to get a sweat test for john uh, like I did with Ben Smith, the CrossFit National Champion, uh, with Brian Shaw. Uh, we got them a sweat test to find out how much salt they're sweating an hour so we can, um, you know, accurately provide them replacement for that. Mm-hmm. And so they have a product called Levelin uh, at, uh, at the Heat Institute. And that is, it's about 50 grams of carbs with about, uh, I think it's 700 uh, milligrams of, uh, of uh, sodium. Uh, that you just blend with 16 ounces of water and we'll drink that, uh, you know, 30 minutes prior to training and immediately after training uh, and then sip on it throughout. And that's kind of the, you know, hydration becomes a big piece. John sweats a lot. Yeah. And uh, you know, in the absence of that, you can start getting headaches and fatigue and decline in performance and your stamina and endurance starts to suffer uh, nothing new that I haven't spoken about before, but we're really diligent about it. I bring them to the gym in case that, uh, you know, he doesn't have everything he needs all the time.
0: Yeah. I was trying to look up that, that supplement. Do you know? How L-E-
1: to... It's L E V E L E N L E V E L E N. And Dr. Sandra Godick's a PhD in thermoregulation and hydration. One of the foremost authorities in the world on that. And her people have been very good about working with me over the years. Um, oh, they do all the sweat testing for, um uh, for what, the Philadelphia Eagles.
0: What did you say? The, uh, heat and inst- oh wait, here it is. L E V L E N
1: L E V E L E N. Yeah. The heat Institute, the heat Institute. Okay. Yeah. One second. It's a fantastic product. It, uh, it's different than most because it does not include potassium for a very specific reason. When you work out, you, your muscles excrete potassium into the bloodstream. Mm-hmm. And so, it's really not necessary to add potassium to a post-workout drink. Uh, also, supplemental potassium tends to be hard on digestion with the lining of the stomach. Uh, so, mm-hmm. it's somewhat unique in that regard. A lot of people will drink um, Pedialyte, but it has a thousand milligrams of potassium in it for every thousand milligrams of sodium. It's a one-to-one ratio. Ideally, you'd maintain a four-to-one ratio. Uh, and there's—I uh, don't believe there's any sugar in Pedialyte. And you do want. Some carbohydrate uh, because obviously you're you're utilizing that during training, but it also helps absorb the sodium better if you have a carbohydrate in there.
0: When you said four to one, that's four to one potassium, right? Four four potassium. No
1: sodium to potassium, four sodium, one potassium. Okay. Okay. For for a rehydration.
0: I drink. gotta check. I gotta check our products. I'm pretty sure we have an electrolyte blend in our intro. That do you add? So what do you think about the intra drinks? This is actually sorry led me to something else. What do you think about some of the intra drinks that are on the market now? They don't, they don't carry enough of what They don't carry enough potassium, enough sodium.
1: Well, I love the idea of, of having an intra drink or a pre-intra and post. Uh, it should include some carbohydrates, some simple carbs, and it should include some sodium primarily. Okay. okay. If you, and magnesium is a nice addition, but you know, again, you can supplement that at any time of day. It doesn't need to be around the workout, but uh, I would just say water, salt, and a little bit of sugar okay uh the percentages you know become secondary really yeah. I, I don't want to be too particular but uh yeah. it's far better than water water can actually dehydrate you as you know to, to dilute your your electrolytes so sure. for a hard training individual uh then you definitely want that and we're talking about athletes you know if you're a yeah. sedentary obviously hypertensive yeah. and i i feel bad even having to say this but there's always academics out there misrepresenting my recommendations. Telling, Stan's telling everybody to eat salt. Yeah. We don't eat fast food. We don't eat packaged food. So we need to add sodium to our meals for that reason. And we're training hard and sweating. Uh, so we utilize sodium. These are recommendations that are consistent with the International Society of Sports Nutrition. Uh, Dr. Andy Galpin does a great two-hour presentation on hydration replacement. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, it's all really consistent with, uh, with, with that, uh, that advice.
0: Okay. Um, moving on to a couple of, other, one other thing, actually, I want to ask you before you go, I know I, I don't want to keep you too much longer. I just want to ask you about gear. Do you mind talking about steroids a little bit? Sure. No problem. So I'm mainly concerned with steroids over 40, because I get a lot of guys messaging me. Like I said, there's a lot of older guys that watch this show and, uh, they're curious do they have to take less? Do they, what are, what are some good compounds? Like, is there some general rules you can give me for guys over 40 that are still interested in being enhanced?
1: I get this a lot because a lot of guys over 40 start to experience more side effects and benefits. Yeah. They're right. taking too much of stuff that they shouldn't be taking um, high blood pressure, maybe some compromised kidney function with the EGFR, liver, AST, ALT, yeah. elevation and just generally feeling like shit. Uh, some of it is, is you know water retention, some of it's diet and, and sleep and nutrition obviously, but uh, the blood pressure is the big one. Yeah. and um, you want to take usually the base should be testosterone and you want to take about as little as necessary or as little as possible to <clears throat> give you the physiological benefit that you're looking for and it's hard to judge that in terms of a, a number on a scale, because some people can have a testosterone of 400 and feel just as good as somebody with an 1100 testosterone. And there's really no evidence that the difference between the two results in any um, any improved performance. Uh, they, they, we've, we see equivalent outcomes in with both, uh, both testosterone levels. People always think that if they're at the lower end that somehow they might be compromised. So only if it's associated with additional symptoms, uh, erectile dysfunction, uh lethargy um you know loss of strength or lean muscle tissue increase in body fat some of that is usually more driven by poor habits uh, poor sleep uh bad nutrition uh too high of body fat yeah. as you know that's um uh you know the aromatase enzyme uh will increase as as your fat increases and then you'll be converting testosterone to estrogen at a greater rate sure so uh, obviously just getting Getting in shape would, would do wonders for improving a lot of the symptoms. Taking more testosterone doesn't fix that problem. I see. Uh, so the foundation is get in shape and get more sleep, and you're going to feel a lot better. Uh, but then, if you do supplement, if you're hypogonal, if you're you know uh, don't produce adequate testosterone, and you are having some symptoms, then testosterone should be the base. Uh, and you kind of have to experiment and see. You know, start with. You know, maybe 100 milligrams a week, and then uh, you know, 70 to 100 a week. I usually like to do it divided doses, at least two doses a week, yeah. uh, because of the, the half life. I don't like to see spikes and you know peaks and valleys that might cause you to have uh, you know different responses throughout the week. Sure. And so twice a week seems to be sufficient for that. Uh, some people who have a real high estrogen conversion problem might go down to smaller doses more frequently. I've seen them able to to uh, maintain a better uh, estrogen level doing that. Okay. Um, now beyond that if you're talking about performance enhancing drugs that like we were just talking about hormone replacement therapy there. Uh, then there are some things you should definitely avoid as you age. One is orals. Those are obviously going to cause more liver di- liver problems and high blood pressure.
0: When, Another one's tren of course. Stay- Stan, when you say orals, do you mean all orals? Like, are you talking even like Anavar? Like, even mild orals? Or are you talking about Dball and Anadrol? Like, what
1: are we talking about? Everything?
0: Anavar would
1: be more mild than others. Yeah, uh, there is some good evidence that, that uh, I think one of the studies showed 600 milligrams of testosterone a week in one group compared to 200 milligrams of testosterone with 25 milligrams of Anavar a day um, to have equivalent outcomes. Oh, wow. So it does seem that one plus one equals three, that the, the, the combining things can give you a better benefit. Having said that, Anabar can still uh, suppress HDL. Okay. And if you have problems with lipids, uh, then HDL is something that you want to uh, you maintain in a, in a healthy range. Um, it, it, it doesn't benefit, you know, artificially elevated with niacin, however, it's mm-hmm. not the, the driver usually high LDL is the bigger concern. And and we just reduce saturated fats and exercise more and increase your fiber intake and uh, lower your body fat. And that tends to be remedied as well. And then blood sugars tend to contribute to high triglycerides. So, you know, we manage all of those things very aggressively. Most of it is, is, uh, is the hyperinsulinemia. People just have elevated insulin, uh, which is rarely tested for They test for glucose.
0: Wow. There's so many more questions, Dan. You're just, they're just So, how do you, how do you reduce insulin in the body? It's hard to,
1: to, yes. It's hard to have these conversations because it's never any one thing. It's multifactorial. Yeah. Yeah. And so if someone comes to me and says, Hey, I'm having poor health. What do you think about taking testosterone? I immediately think of a dozen other things that are important to, to navigate first or testosterone may be a part of that comprehensive therapy. And, um, obviously, you know, blood sugars is a big blood pressure being the primary That's right, yeah. uh, thing. I mean, that'll kill you now.
0: Yeah, so yeah,
1: <laughs> we fix that first, but blood pressure is elevated by high blood sugars or high insulin. And so we want to manage that, uh, you know, fasted glucose and HA1C are lagging indicators. You can have high insulin, uh, for years before it, it uh, you know, it shows in your, in your blood sugar tests. From, so,
0: so one second, so you can have a good a1c level and still have high insulin levels in your body yeah.
1: yes yes because my, yeah.
0: A1, my a1c is in which is i was told is like the long term for those of you who don't know is a long term um basically like three month
1: average of your blood sugars yeah
0: so and that determines whether you're diabetic or pre-diabetic or whatever mine is in the normal range so yeah. i've always felt like that's okay right but if you're telling me i can still have high insulin levels at the same time
1: now that yes wor- that worries me so how do i how do I manage that? Well, hyperinsulinemia is when you eat food and your blood sugars elevate, and then more insulin is released than uh might be necessary uh in a in a insulin sensitive individual mm-hmm. in order to get those blood sugars to shuttle into the uh to get uh, stored, whether it be sure. you know muscular or fat. Um and it can happen acutely. You can have a huge spike of insulin. Uh, but usually it's measured by area under the curve. How high does insulin raise and how long does it stay elevated? Yeah. And, uh, you can get a fasted insulin test. You know, we get fasted glucose, a 12 hour fasted glucose test. Um, and as mentioned, that fasted glucose could be normal, but you could have hyperinsulinemia. You could have a high fasted insulin, um, So you're seeing, so glucose seems normal, but behind the scenes, the work that your body's having to do to get that glucose normal is more than uh, what is otherwise healthy in an insulin sensitive and a metabolically healthy individual. So get a fasted insulin test. That's one step. And that might tell you, and unfortunately the range is somewhere between, I think it's four and 24 or something for, for fasted insulin, anything over six, is in my mind something that needs addressed triglycerides will also are also a good leading indicator because if you have high insulin levels if you if your insulin is spiking too high or stays in stays elevated for too long to control your blood sugars a lot of those blood sugars will be converted into triglycerides in the liver and so you start to see elevated triglycerides as a leading indicator of uh, insulin resistance
0: okay so what is the this- this is something I feel like I might actually pertain to me. Um, how, do, how do you reduce insulin in your body?
1: Well, there's a host of, uh, I have a high blood sugar quick fix kit in the vertical diet, along with my high blood pressure quick fix kit. Okay, okay. A lot of similar things. Uh, first and foremost, you can lose weight. That yep. seems to be one of the big drivers. Uh, sleep is another big one uh, your, your body becomes insulin resistant with just a, a night or two of, 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 shortened sleep. Uh, my co uh, his master's thesis was on, uh, IGF one and, uh, insulin resistance and it's uh, sleep has a huge component for that. Uh, obviously exercise. I mentioned that the muscles will uptake glucose from the bloodstream without the need of insulin. Uh and so the 10 minute walks post meal are twice as effective as as medication like metformin, the number one prescribed medication in the world for type two diabetes to prevent or or reverse type two diabetes, sure. uh, is metformin. The 10 minute walk after meal, what they call uh, you know postprandial, will decrease the amount of insulin and the duration that that insulin is elevated. Okay. Again, what we call the area under the curve. Sure. Uh, uh, we've seen some, you know, I've, I've listened to some great, uh, diabetes, uh, educators and doctors talk about how they have type one diabetics on yeah. 12 units of insulin a day, which is extraordinarily low. Yeah. But what they'll do is shortly after a meal, they'll spend 15 minutes on a step mill, the step master. Yeah. Yeah. So that would be an extreme, you know, 15, 20 minutes on a stairmaster after a meal. Uh, the idea there being is that now the muscles are, 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 are absorbing the glucose and, ma- and managing the glucose in the bloodstream. And so less insulin needs to be utilized. Sure. So that's another huge thing. Eating protein first seems to reduce blood sugar and insulin. Um, eating more protein, obviously. You can't, uh, eat, them, you can't eat them together? No, you, can, you, you eat more protein and then you eat the protein first and then you eat the carbohydrates after the protein. It's in the right. same meal. Yeah, yeah it, it seems like such a little thing, but it it has shown to be effective. Uh, so diabetes. So if I'm eating my chicken and rice, I
0: can't eat it, your chicken it's first. Better to eat the, the chicken first, but it's so much. A hundred percent. Yeah, it's it's so much and harder. It, it's so much harder to eat chicken by itself, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but but maybe there I mean, is.
1: Yeah. Go ahead. There's some good evidence that that actually helps. Yeah. Um, you know, we'd say ameliorate or make better uh, the, uh, the, the amount of insulin that's released and the, the duration of which it's elevated to get your, your, for your blood sugars. Um, the glycemic index does not seem to be a great indicator. It's kind of individualistic. And, uh, when you eat, uh, that index was made, uh, in isolation, eating carbohydrates in isolation, yeah, yeah. when you eat them with fats and proteins, it, it dramatically changes the oh, absorption yeah. rate, yeah. but the glycemic load does matter the amount of carbohydrates you eat in a given meal
0: yeah.
1: um, and then whether or not those carbohydrates are eaten around training. Uh, so I would like to put, you know, some carbohydrates in my meal before I train and then take in a lot of carbohydrates immediately after I train Yeah. and you'll have less uh, of a spike of insulin because your muscles will be utilizing those, sure. those carbohydrates. So uh, timing then is is what basically that says time them mostly around also you tend to be more insulin sensitive in the morning okay. uh which there's some a lot of good evidence now to suggest that you should eat like a king for breakfast a prince for lunch and a popper for dinner okay. um it also seems to be good for sleep for chrononutrition uh to help you sleep better at night with a smaller dinner and then a larger breakfast when you have more insulin sensitivity you also have higher cortisol in the morning so it would It would benefit you to get carbohydrates, you know, a decent amount of carbohydrates for breakfast. I prefer to skip dinner than skip breakfast if I'm going to intermittent fast, but I don't necessarily recommend intermittent fasting for athletes.
0: But I feel like it's hard for people to like for me, for example, and some of my friends that I talked to about this, it's harder for people to fall asleep when they're hungry. So usually they're,
1: you know, they eat more later on. Do we mitigate that with more food or do we mitigate that with higher satiety foods such as... Uh, you know, a boiled, a small boiled potato, uh, which is a high satiety food along with oranges, very high satiety food, um, and a high protein meal, uh, and then a salad. So what I recommend for a lot of my dieters is that after dinner, because the vast majority of snacking occurs later in the evening, which
0: is, which is another
1: argument for sleeping longer, because if you're asleep, if you're awake, fewer hours, obviously you're going to have less opportunity to, to snack.
0: No, it's very in addition to the
1: ghrelin hormone being released and making you hungry from too little sleep, it's just the, the look at the clock. You know, if you're awake longer, you're going to have to get another meal in. Okay. Uh, but a post-dinner salad is is a great idea. And I have a, a salad in my vertical diet that's a, a really easy to digest. It's low calorie. I like the iceberg lettuce uh, because I don't enjoy... Um, chewing on spinach it tastes like dirt and it's you know <laughs> its texture is is not enjoyable yeah, so yeah. i'll get like a romaine from costco that's crunchy yeah, and yeah. uh and i'll have that with um uh i might get some fat-free cheddar cheese craft has one that walmart sells uh, i'll certainly put in a little bit of strawberries uh, fruits are are very satiating uh and you know you can get a pound of strawberries for had less than 130 calories yeah, the- you're only going to eat Two or three strawberries but uh i'll put in maybe a couple of egg whites uh for texture um i'll add uh, uh, some shaved carrot maybe a little bit of cucumber and then i'll just put a little bit of apple cider vinegar on there mostly for taste i don't think there's anything magic about apple cider vinegar and blood sugars it's it's been you know talked about a lot but it's it's minimal and it's real result, but, Anyhow, that salad might take you 20 minutes to eat. You ever tried to chew and crunch on a salad like that? Yeah. yeah. So, you know, the satiety benefit of just the duration of chewing the bulk in the stomach, the stretching of the wall, of course, sends the signal for satiety. And then the length of time it takes to digest, you get to to bed and you don't have the same hunger. So uh, the post dinner salad. Yeah. To me, eat your protein, have your little bit of carbs, ideally a boiled potato because it's satiating, then eat that salad. It's just a strategy that, that I utilize to keep people from getting hungry and overeating.
0: That's a good idea. Yeah. Um, okay. So I just want to go back to steroids for a minute. Yep. When we were talking about performance enhancers, the first thing you said was uh, avoid orals. And then we were going to go into one other thing. What are you, what, what's after that?
1: Um, oh, you some said avoid, people may,
0: sorry, you said avoid trend also. And then after that,
1: yeah, most of the, um, I'll just, I'll just say straight out that, that when guys get over 40, particularly over 50, I'd like them just to stick with a smaller dose of testosterone and be patient and, uh, and, and manage a host of other shortcomings in their program. Testosterone is not the driver of results. Uh, I think that people overemphasize its value. It's not a panacea, uh, certainly necessary to replace it if you're, if you're low. Um, but I've maintained my testosterone somewhere in the seven to 1100 range, most of the last five years. And if I get squirrely and I want to do something extra special and, yeah. uh, and, and add something to it, then I'm adding Premable, yeah. very safe. It's not going to, you know, you're not going to get massive results in a short period of time. But I found that if you run it for a few months, yeah. uh, you, you do get, uh, you know, you do retain your lean body mass. Uh, you do get harder. You definitely helps you with your conditioning. Uh, Pre-Bowl is very effective at that. Yeah. Uh, I don't like the idea of gaining water at that age on anything else, DECA, although I must say that, that we have seen good results with maybe 50 milligrams a week of DECA for people who have joint problems. Okay, And I, I don't know that I can point to a mechanism of action. I don't know that it's water in the joints. I, I don't have any evidence of that. But we just see it anecdotally, uh, you know, having dealt with hundreds and hundreds of clients and working with yeah. uh, practitioners in the HRT field, uh, those with a lot of experience. Do see a little bit of benefit there but uh by the same token i you know the other methods that i've suggested for joints uh you know getting away from some of those major movements uh yeah and utilizing the bike or the the atp walks or the sleds uh have really been you know the driver of of my joint health over the years too so uh, i just hate when people i always say that that things that are done to you or for you are never as effective as things you do for yourself. And that's back to the conversation about passive therapies versus uh, actual movement. And I say the same thing about the DECA. Are you using it as a crutch for a poor uh, nutrition, sleep or movement habits? Um, And can you fix that somewhere else? But uh, I got to say, if if it's performance enhancing over 40 or 50, if that's your choice, uh, a little bit of testosterone, uh, dosed at least twice weekly, just to get your numbers, your free testosterone, uh, slightly elevated. Um, I, I don't recommend anti-estrogens. I think they're bad for the joints. I think that they're bad for, uh, endothelial function to have suppressed estrogen. They're bad for libido. Uh, There's a whole host of things that estrogen is important for. If you're converting estrogen at a very high rate and it's elevated, Generally, it's because you're over fat or you're taking too much testosterone uh, or you're hypersensitive. I have some, seen some people on small amounts of testosterone that do uh, convert it to a greater rate, uh, but it's, it's the exception, not the rule. Yeah. And then if they overuse anti-estrogens, then they end up uh, you know, crashing their libido and uh, otherwise, I think, compromising your health. I'll throw one other thing in, as I see it, a lot of men over 50, particularly ones who have used testosterone over the years. Uh, because it does convert to DHT, which can have an effect on BPH, benign prostatic hyperplasia. And men start to get uh, a problem with evacuation. They'll have a, uh, you know, their stream won't be as strong or they'll uh, not be able to completely evacuate. They'll have a sense of urgency. Uh, they'll wake up in the middle of the night multiple times. Yeah. Uh, the uh, uh, a low-dose Tadalafil, five milligrams a day, uh, tends to... With Cialis, uh, Cialis. Yeah. yeah, Cialis, now Tadalithil, um, does seem to help with uh, reducing those symptoms of BPH. Uh, it also helps with uh, increases nitric oxide. So it helps with blood pressure by dilating the vessels and it helps with uh, endothelial lining. It does help improve uh, uh, the, blood, the lining of the blood vessels. So that is a therapy that uh, that I, I often recommend that, uh, uh, that people talk to their doctors about. And see if they can get to include that for those for those reasons
0: um last question on the steroid front gh uh, is a peptide not a steroid but is gh is something you uh, would suggest or not for people over 40.
1: i'm not a fan if they have any insulin resistance because it can increase insulin resistance okay Uh, and so if they do have high blood sugars or high insulin You could, again, triglycerides is an obvious indicator of of high blood sugars. Uh, Fasted insulin is an indicator, but they may have to go in and get uh, an oral glucose tolerance test, OGTT, with insulin. You go in and your doctor uh, feeds you uh, some uh, sugar water, and then he tests your glucose at 30, 60, 90, and 120 minutes to see how you respond, whether you're spiking. I'd have the insulin tested as well, which means you'll have four blood tests as well at 30, 60, 90, and 120. That would be a good indicator as to whether or not you're at risk from taking growth hormone. I would not want to take growth hormone if I had insulin resistance because it can also cause insulin resistance. And uh, it's dose dependent, you know, maybe one IU before bed probably won't cause problems and might help you with your sleep and can improve your skin and might help with joints. Uh, but I don't think it's a panacea. Uh, mm-hmm. I've fared quite well without it. I don't have any joint problems and, uh, my sleep's fine. And, uh, I haven't had to utilize, I used it historically and I did notice that, uh, I experienced insulin resistance. My doses were higher four to six I use at the time. Yeah. Uh, I, but, uh, I don't, I don't currently use it. I'm not, uh, you know, I could, but, uh, mm-hmm. And I do recommend it to some people. I'll, I'll tell you this. It, it's fantastic for women's skin. Uh, and that's not news. Uh, I think it was, uh, what was her name from three's company? That's always out. Uh, uh, oh, uh, Suzanne, uh, Suzanne Summers.
0: Summers. Yeah. That's right.
1: Yeah. She's talked about it religiously on talk shows. Uh, it, it, I have seen uh, both with clients that, that have, uh, that I've spoken with personally and uh, in the uh, HRT world that, it really is helpful for women's skin Yeah, uh, wow. as a huge impact. So, and again, work with your doctor and a qualified professional And don't say Stan told me to take yeah. GH or test or cremable. And I do everything with blood tests. Uh, I've gotten my blood test almost on a monthly basis for 10 years, as I've mentioned that uh, it's, it's now it's just a, uh, uh, you know, it's a lot easier because I've, I've maintained everything uh, kind of the, the way i have over the last few years that i I don't necessarily need to do it so i do it less often maybe every 60 or 90 days
0: yeah uh i had a i had a kid in the gym just the other day uh, pull me aside and say hey my uh liver enzymes i think it was alt was at 182 and i said well i think it's time to go off like you should probably take a break right but the reason i bring it up is look i know there's people of all ages watching the show whether i have kids as young as 16 and men as old as 67 that have messaged me so uh anybody out there listening if you have issues with your blood work stan is there somewhere can you help these people is there somewhere they can reach out to you for help yeah the- just stuff? go to
1: staneffording.com. i have instructions on there where you can get a blood test using private MD labs on um, you just go down to the uh you buy the blood test. They email you a form that you print out. You go down to Quest and get your blood drawn, and three days later they send you your results. Oh, so you don't. So have, you,
0: you don't have to go to a doctor or anything. You just download. The no, site.
1: and you should have a medical professional review them. I do. Yeah. Um, you know, I can only tell people, and from my experience in my vertical diet ebook, I have a list of the common tests, what they uh, say, and how to improve those uh, those markers if necessary. Um, you know, I wanted people to be self diagnosing, but certainly from personal experience, I, when I deal with my clients, I tell them, uh, as we discussed today, uh, as is in the high blood pressure and high blood sugar quick fix kits. And um, I discuss with them ways to improve all of those markers. I think it's important. I think people would find that there's a lot of other things they could do to improve their performance other than take more performance enhancing drugs.
0: Yeah, that's usually the, the recipe. <laughs> Um yeah. No the reason I said that about the blood test is a lot of like people will message me and say I want to get blood work done but my doctor won't help me. My doctor won't, won't doesn't know why I want to get it done, he won't give me a requisition for it. Whatever the yeah. whatever the dumb reason. So I think it's, yeah. really, it's I think it's really interesting that they can just download it from your or buy it on your website and get it done.
1: There's many companies that do it. privatemdlabs.com is the one I use. Okay. Uh I have the instructions on my website for free, you don't have to go buy my ebook to get the instructions, they're in my store. Uh, actually, I think I've got a, now a, a box you just click on that it, it says blood test that walks you through it. Uh, you get a 15% discount if you use Rhino as the discount code but you gotta go through my site to get it. I don't get paid anything for that, I just asked them for that when I, I put that information out. I thought it was important enough yeah. uh, that people, particularly as you age, that you get a baseline. Of course, um, yeah. A very comprehensive test is around $300, it's not cheap. Uh, but there are some, uh, but the site offers a lot of less comprehensive tests that can still get your, you know, your basic metabolic panel and your, your, uh, uh, your, your, your complete blood count and your lipids, uh, and your testosterone levels for, you know, in the low 125 bucks or something like that. So yeah. there's other options available, but, uh.
0: Yeah. Is there anything new uh, on the horizon you want to promote or talk about or say? Yeah, everything's new. I tell you, it's
1: it's just amazing. Uh, you too on your end. I've watched your yeah. site just explode. Your yeah. your YouTube and your uh, your guests. Uh, I'm honored to be uh, yeah. to be invited back here right after Cory yeah. and Yates. That was uh, <laughs> that's, right. that's that's incredible. Yeah, uh, but everything's new and exciting. I will say that uh, the Vertical Diet book will be in bookstores in August. Uh, pre-orders will be available next month, but a lot of people have asked about having a hard copy as yeah. opposed to just the, the, uh, the online version. But, um, and then I'm, you know, obviously still working on some projects. The vertical kids is a, my next project uh, for, uh, you know, optimizing uh, and you know kids performance um, and maximizing their genetic potential. But that'll be probably early next year before I can get that released. Cause I'm uh, busy now, obviously.
0: Yeah. Can I ask you, does the vertical diet book,
1: Come with recipes
0: and everything for people, so they can. It does, yeah. The
1: ebook okay. does, uh, and the new vertical diet book will have recipes. And then we have a complete recipe guide,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, and then I have a vertical strength training manual coming out shortly. But uh, you know, one that I'm really proud of that we've worked hard on, and, and, and I'm hesitant to promote it uh, too aggressively because there's so many um, snake oil salesmen out there. Uh, is our book? You know, people know that that I built five multi-million dollar companies in the last 17 years. Yeah. And a lot of people ask me about business and, and my, you know, from the time I was in college, I worked as a personal trainer um, and I trained to put myself through college. And I was a high school soccer coach. And, uh, you know, I owned a gym. I've been a trainer all my life. I still train people. and uh, It's a passion of mine, has been all my life. It's hard to make a living in that industry. Yeah. Guys like us who, you know, have a, a resume and have, have maximized social media, we do fine. But the personal trainers on the front lines in the gyms, they struggle to make a career Uh, so I partnered again with Matt Wiedemer from beat training. He runs very successful training centers and his trainers make, uh, uh, many of them make six figures They make over a hundred thousand dollars a year personal training, actual clients, uh, paying them to do training sessions every day. They show up at the gym. So we wrote a book, uh, a career book on, uh, how to become successful, uh, in the, as a personal trainer. And it's on Mm -hmm. my website, uh, and it's a step-by-step guide on, on uh, very basic, just like the vertical diet, just the fundamentals, step by step on what things that you should do and need to do yeah. in order to have a career in that industry and be able to do just that. Because uh, a lot of folks do it moonlight and have a hard time struggling to make a living at it. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, I definitely recommend people take a look at that. And they're invited to come out to Cincinnati and shadow our trainers uh, at Matt's gym and, uh, and see exactly what they do and how they are able to, to, uh, to make a career at that.
0: Yeah. That's incredible. Um, you know, I know you have a, uh, extensive business background, so maybe part three, the third time you're on my show. Yeah. We'll, we'll just cover business. Cause actually that's probably the part I'm most interested in is how you build yeah. so many different companies, but obviously we've been on way too long today, but the next time maybe you'll come on, we can just teach people how to get rich. Thank you, brother. I appreciate it. Yeah,
1: and uh, and none of my marketing will be me standing next to an airplane or a Ferrari. It's, it's, not, it's not.
0: It's just so cheesy. I, I, it's disgusting. I dare you, yeah. you to do that. Just make one, <laughs> just for the hell of it. Just make one for the hell of it. Yeah, um, no kidding. Uh, Stan, look, man, I appreciate you coming on, man. It's uh, always a pleasure and always very, very informational. So thank you very much, and uh, good luck with John. Uh, I'm not sure if we're going to talk again before he fights, but. Uh, I hope he does amazing and I hope you're a huge part of it.
1: Yeah. Thank you, brother. I appreciate it.
0: We will uh,
1: talk again soon. Take care. Okay, man. Thank you very much, Stan.